Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London Miss Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, presented by World Soccer Shop. Head on over to worldsoccershop.com for the best champions of england gear around it's been a week since we last had to deal with the fa cup but on to bigger and better things unfortunately though dan isn't able to join us this week celebrating his wedding anniversary so we got to give him a pass congrats to you too but don't worry we've still got nick and i don't mean that as like a consolation nick we still got nick there it is that's you know the highest praise you can receive I'm saying we, we should be happy. We still got the man himself. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah you're, you're backpedaling pretty quickly there. Nah, come on now. Um, but as most of you know, uh, we have a special pod this week covering possible uh, summer transfer targets for Chelsea. And who better to have on as a guest than Joe Tweeds himself? Welcome back, Joe. Hi, guys. Yeah, good to be back. It's always a pleasure to have you on, especially when we have such a a specific topic uh, that you are so passionate about. Uh, In case you guys haven't read it yet, 
He did an awesome breakdown of the summer transfer targets. A lot of those people we're going to talk about here as well. So again, if you haven't read the article, hit pause on the podcast, head over to We Ain't Got No History on SB Nation, give it a read, then come back. It will be much better experience for you. But before we get into this real quick, we have an awesome shout out from World Soccer Shop. And then we're going to start right in with uh, the transfer window. Here we go. Hey guys, just really quick, go to World Soccer Shop, use a referral link. Uh, Chelsea has all their Adidas gear on sale uh, right now as it's the last uh, last month of the partnership. So uh, go on over to worldsoccershop.com, use a referral link. Uh, you can get jerseys 50%. Uh, help us, help the show, and then we will see you on the flip side. All right. Well, to kick this off, uh, we had an email from Deepon. Uh, he's a listener in Singapore. He emailed us, and I think he said what a lot of Chelsea fans are thinking. So I wanted to see if you guys agree. So Deepon says, quote, I personally think that we should learn from mistakes we made in the past and not take our foot off the gas after winning uh, the title this season. We need to strengthen significantly. Now, can we bridge the gap between us and the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus, and PSG? I don't think we can match up with them in one summer window, but definitely we can close the gap, end quote. So Tweeds, you know, I guess how big of a gap do you think that we can, or how big of a gap is it and can we close it this summer? Or is it like he thinks maybe a two summer project to get to that elite, elite status? I think it it probably stems down to how aggressive the club want to be um, I think Terry in his sort of closing comments when he was leaving the club was, was quite accurate saying that we probably needed five or six big signings sort of coming in the summer and I, I don't really think that's too far away from from the number of players that I would suggest we probably need as well so it really does I think depend on the club and how aggressive we want to be in terms of how far away we are I mean I think really um, when you look back at that Atletico Madrid game particularly one at Stamford Bridge and uh, the second leg I think that's that's probably one of the the biggest gaps in class. I think between a team that I've seen and and a, and a Chelsea team, and was probably followed up um, by both games against PSG. I know that they, uh, in terms of the actual score, it wasn't that uh, you know it wasn't that convincing in terms of scoring. But I, I really felt that they out, they outplayed us, um, particularly with ten men, um, and then particularly again in that in that second leg of the season after. So. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the gap is is increasing. Um, I think it has been for a little while. So, um, you know, I think that the club really do need to, to be aggressive this window. And then, you know, you only really have to look at how well the Premier League's performing in Europe to see, you know, where the gap is. So, you know, we haven't really done that well the past couple of seasons. Everyone's raving about Tottenham and yet Tottenham came third in their group and then were knocked out by a Belgian team in the Europa League. So I think we, we need to be realistic about both the strength of the league as a whole but also obviously the strength of Chelsea um, you know we, we do typically do better than most clubs when we get into Europe and I think that's something that that is just ingrained in the club's DNA um, but I still think looking at the squad now that that you know we had a, a pretty decent set of players uh, particularly in, over the sort of course of the PSG game I'm not sure if we're if we're completely um, at that level, just on an individual player basis, not necessarily talking about what Conte's done in terms of the team and the structure of the team, etc. But yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely go with, with John Terry's assessment. So maybe five, six players if we're being aggressive. If not, it's it's going to be probably a two, uh, a two summer um, sort of not necessarily a rebuild, but a two summer reboot of, of the team to really start challenging those those top European sides again. Nick, it's got to be kind of fun to think. You know, that we're in this growth phase after winning the Premier League because 
Chelsea's ambitions are always much bigger than only domestic success, right? Like domestic success is the bare minimum at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, when when all you have to play for is domestic success last year, I mean, you, you had to be kind of focused there. But, you know, Joe's right. I mean, Europe's a whole different deal. Uh, I think this is a really good question. I mean, if you were to rate, you know, some of the squads that you know, Madrid's, the Barca's, you know, Bayern's as like a, a, an A-class team, you know, I think Chelsea probably come in and a B right now. Uh, and <clears throat> that is with some fantastic players. Uh, in the squad, but you know, just kind of the overall depth that you know Real Madrid has versus what we have, you know, makes a huge difference when you're when you're playing sixty plus games a year. So, uh, you know, I think there is a there is definitely a gap there, and I hope Chelsea use the the funds that were were smartly uh, acquired over the last couple of years and and puts them to uh, to use in the squad. Yeah, I mean, we can have that debate about uh, how difficult the uh, domestic league is in England versus the others. But I think ideally Chelsea want to be back on that level of, you know, consistently uh, getting to the quarterfinals, semifinals, you know, getting to the finals in the Champions League, you know, once out every three, four years, ideally. You know, you think of Juventus is back two in the last three. Obviously, Real Madrid has been on a great tear in Europe. But let's go ahead and bring it back to Chelsea. Obviously, you know, the big question next season, I think, as we look to sign players is going to be, what is the formation? I think that will obviously build a lot of Chelsea strategy. Jason, or I'm sorry, uh, at Jonathan Kidd tweeted us asking, how many players do CFC need to be a top team in the Champions League, especially if Antonio plays a 4-4-2 as rumored for next season? Well, we obviously already talked about... Um, how many players we want, but I guess Joe kicking it back to you. Uh, I guess what is more important this, the formation Conte wants to play or do they go out, do they find out who's available and then build a team off of that? I think, you know, I think what we saw last season was when, when a lot of teams started to mimic the three at the back, you saw really kind of massive varying degrees in success. And ultimately, you know, you can be the most tactically astute manager on the planet. If you don't have the players, sufficient quality to really sort of implement the game plan to the to necessary standards you're, you're only really as good as the 11 players out there so I mean I think probably in terms of what Conte is looking to do you know he's a, he's a manager that already last season probably played maybe three possibly four variations in terms of in terms of a, a formation I think we'll probably see that again going forward um, he does like two strikers whether that's in a, a kind of more of a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2 will probably be remain to be seen depending on who we potentially sign but I think again it's going to be looking to add maybe uh, you know targeting starting quality players rather than sort of you know players to come in and compete I'm looking at maybe signing someone who you look at them as just on a pure ability basis and saying, okay, yeah, this person probably going to be, well, you know, our number one choice for a wing back or a centre half or, or in midfield. I think we need to target that level of quality because I think what we really saw last season, particularly if you look at someone like Cesc Fabregas, the ability to bring him off the bench and change games in the last 15 minutes. I, I'm not really sure how many points it won, but you know, it was such a useful thing to either to control the game or to attack, you know, with, with the ball. And I, I think again the same with William. I think William. Although he was was player of the year, I think he's had some really really effective performances coming off the bench, um, and, and that for me, that's the kind of level of of player we need to have there. Um, you know, someone who potentially is someone who can start, but I mean, you know, you're looking at hopefully having someone better um, starting going forward. So, 
I think, yeah, to answer Jonathan's question, I, th- I think probably be- between four and six players is, is needed. Um, maybe four starters, depending on who leaves. But I, I still think that that kind of four to six figure is a pretty good um, benchmark of, of what we should be looking to try and do this window. All right. Uh, Nick, at Moitberry underscore 94 asks, is it a matter of concern since our rivals are striking deals at a fast pace before the transfer window? And I think specifically he's saying, or they're saying, are we concerned that United City, you know, obviously not Arsenal, uh, but maybe even Liverpool are stacking deals now before Chelsea have even dipped their toe in the market per se. Um, I mean, it's great for our podcast um, because now we get to record this <laughs> before any signings. But uh, you know, it's a I don't know, it's a little concerning. You know, I'm not sure any of the the targets that City has signed outside of Mendy. You know, or, or even real possibilities for Chelsea anyway. So, you know, in that regard, probably not. But you know, I would certainly like to see Chelsea wrap up Antonio Conte's extension quickly and then get to uh, get to the bulk of the business before June is over, um, because I think that's when when the uh, most of the irons are are hottest and and you can get kind of some of the best deals uh, before crunch time. Well, that and then obviously we know that we've got to uh, get some extensions down for Eden Hazard. And well, we can all see that Thibaut Courtois would like a new deal. He's made that very <laughs> public. Uh, Joe, uh, at Just Badoo, asked, what positions could we integrate a youth or bring back a loan player instead of signing someone? Um, I mean, I know you're high on Shalaba. Obviously, we know everyone is pretty much high on Christensen. I know we'll talk about him specifically later. So I guess, uh, do you have two players that you think could obviously integrate back in or should we save that for later in the pod? Because I know we've got some of those later on in the script. Uh, I mean, I think probably it kind of depends on maybe who's leaving. So if, you know, someone like Cesc Fabregas wants to play more and, and moves abroad, I think someone like Lewis Bates can come in and, and sort of give you a lot of what, what uh, Fabregas has done, particularly from the bench. Um, and I think also, yeah, I mentioned sort of Clark Sauter um, as being someone who I think maybe not as a starting caliber player, but definitely as, uh, as someone who is a natural left-sided centre-back, particularly someone comfortable playing in the back three. I think Keem um, maybe obviously gone a little bit under the radar with his injury this season and, and, and obviously some of the more high-profile signings or high-profile academy players that are coming through. But I think he could be uh, someone that, we, that potentially gets caps around this season um, just purely because of the he's obviously a left-footer and that he's quite natural in that, in that area. Nick... Um... At BC Wharton says, think the 15-16 season will be in the back of our players' minds this summer. Think it will help them. Obviously, he's talking about they had the extended summer break. Uh, Maybe some guys like Hazard and Costa took a little bit extra time off. Do you think that those guys are going to, you know, have learned their lesson and know that they still need to be focused? I mean, even on social media, we've seen a bunch of the guys already doing workouts. Yes. That's my answer. I mean, it. it's impossible. I think it would be impossible to have a guy like Hazard come back fat again. I don't think Antonio Conte will, will let that happen. So, um, you know, I, I think the only real wild card there is Diego Costa. But, you know, he, he's shown that he can uh, get back into shape uh, relatively quickly uh, after, a, a, I don't know, 45-day bender. So, you know, I, I think I think we're going to be okay on this one. I don't think Antonio is going to let these guys slide too much. 
All right. Next one up at SP Beal says, what would you rather have? Everyone in the squad signs longer contracts or five out and five in? Uh, I will go ahead and jump in on this one. I think that Chelsea had a good domestic squad, but if we're looking to challenge on um, you know multiple fronts next season, I almost think that five out, five in could be better. Now, I'm making the assumption that that's out of like the 14 players that actually played this this summer, or I guess this last season. Um, but I think that Chelsea could do a lot of damage and upgrade in a lot of areas uh, if we were able to bring in five players, maybe move five out. So I'm going to go that way. But I guess, Tweeds, what do you think? Um, five out, five in, or keep everyone everyone uh, staying, staying put? I think I'd, I'd probably go down the same route as you. Um, I think, again, five out, five in probably gives Conte um, five players who may be slightly more in tune with how he wants to play slightly higher abilities in, in certain areas. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that probably would make sense for me. Um, although I think, yeah, from going back to what you said earlier, tying down Hazard and, and Courtois and, and obviously Conte as well to, to these, these longer-term contracts, I think is also something I think the, the club needs to sort out sooner rather than later. All right, Nick, uh, wrapping it up uh, from our buddy Zane at Zanosaurus ask, which Premier League clubs are you most worried about moving into next season? Which clubs pose the biggest threat to defending our title? Arsenal? Just kidding. Oh, man, that was good. Um, no, City and United are who I'm worried about. I mean, they, they're spending money. Uh, I don't think Jose is going to have another poor season. Pep's probably going to figure out some some sort of goalkeeper who can actually use his hands. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, if, if we're being realistic, I think Chelsea, you know, exceeded expectations and, you know, the rest of the pack really didn't. You know, I think Tottenham played pretty well last year, but uh, I think the, uh, you know, if, if you're starting from level playing field, I think those those squads are deeper right now and that, you know, they're, they're clearly out to strengthen. So, uh, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think exactly the same. It's just the sheer amount of money that I think the Manchester clubs can spend is is going to be pretty significant. Um, and I have a feeling as well, Tottenham both playing at Wembley. And I do also feel, I think the wage structure is going to come back and haunt them a little bit. I think Carl Walker is is already looking like someone who's potentially going to leave. And, and although Trippier did start playing towards the end of the season, I, I can only see more of their kind of core players realising that they could probably earn two, three, or maybe four times what they're currently earning at another club playing in the Champions League. So, you know, there's only so much loyalty to a club you can offer when someone is, is looking to double or triple your wages. So, you know, Wembley plus that, I think Tottenham may, may potentially struggle next season. But, yeah, definitely agree that both Manchester clubs will, will probably be, um, a lot, I think, a lot more competitive than, than they were this season. Pep, obviously, won one season under his belt, potentially might be figuring out the, the Premier League. Uh, I think Mourinho will just throw money at, at, the, at the situation. And I think, again, you know, he'll, he'll put together a fairly decent side. So, I think both of those are going to be the, the main contenders that we will see next season going forward. Yeah, you know, even Liverpool, they don't seem like they're going to splash a lot of cash. I mean, they'll probably, you know, be a good squad for the most part. But, you know, the the, the names and the amount of money that the, the Manchester clubs are looking to spend already versus Liverpool going after Mohamed Salah. It's just it's a different level, right? Like there's a golfing class there. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um 
Tottenham will be an interesting thing. You know, who knows if they actually sign a big player because that would kind of ruin their wage structure and like the cohesiveness of the team. Uh, but I guess you never know. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and start talking about specific positions. We're going to go ahead and set this uh, episode up by player position and kind of go through it that way. Again, uh, we post on social media, but guys, if you haven't read this article, uh, head over to SB Nation's We Ain't Got No History page and um, great, great article that Joe wrote. Um, starting out with the defense, we're going to talk about central defenders specifically. We obviously know that John Terry is on his way out. Uh, currently, we have Nathan Ake, Aspilicueta, Cahill, David Luiz, and Zuma. Uh, we've got Christensen that it sounds like is returning from alone. And we've got a couple youth players that are probably on the bubble a little bit with Jake Clark, Salter, and Fikeo Tamori. So, I guess kicking it right off, Nick, how many defenders are needed this window? I think uh, it looks likely, and, and Joe could probably back me up on this, it looks likely that Zuma is probably not going to stick around uh, for, for next season. Maybe we'll go out on loan. Um, so, you know, assuming that and knowing that Terry's gone, that's two that you have to replace immediately. So really, to me, I think we're looking, you know, Christensen coming back in. Uh, and then, you know, maybe another one or two defenders to have that kind of full rotation that Antonio Conte would want in the back three. Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say exactly the same. I, again, I think there's a lot of signs in the media that Zuma is quite possibly going to be moving out on loan, whether that's to club in the Premier League or into France. Leon seemed quite heavily linked with him at the moment. So I think it's probably quite fair to say that he, he just needs to get back to playing regular football. And, you know, I don't think as a club at the moment we can necessarily nurse him through the season you know while he's probably trying to find himself again after that's all pretty horrific injury so yeah I think you know Terry leaving Zuma possibly departing on loan um, maybe two or three maybe one in terms of a transfer signing and Christensen coming back and potentially someone from the academy stepping up to sort of fill that sixth kind of centre-back spot well, let's not forget, Ake has actually made some quotes recently saying that, you know, at, the, at his age, he still wants to be playing significant minutes. Uh, it sounds like he's pretty fond of his loans at Watford and Bournemouth Bowl. So he actually could be a third one out the door. But Dan, uh, reporting in remotely, uh, says he thinks that we need one big name signing for center back. And then he thinks that a youth or a loan promotion to the first team. So uh, he's also on the two-player bandwagon. Uh, Joe. Obviously, in your article, you listed three players that you thought uh, would be good, uh, you know, I guess maybe transfer targets slash promotions. Uh, who yeah. do you want to kick it off with? Um, I'll, probably, I'll start with the kind of in-house people first. Um, I think in terms of Andreas Christensen, for me personally, I think probably the thing I mentioned in the article, this is kind of the litmus test for the academy slash loan program that we've got going on. We have a player who potentially, if he wasn't already at the club, you know, we'd, we'd be being linked to, to probably Barcelona and, and probably a lot of teams who like a kind of having a, a ball playing centre half for probably, you know, 30, 40 million. I think Samuel Mtiti was around about 25 million pounds or euros. So Christensen probably is a, is a little bit more than that. Um, 
but to actually you know have him come back after two years of playing pretty much regularly um you know he's played in a back three he can play in a back four gives you a lot of versatility as a player um and i think as well that the main thing for, for me um particularly if we continue with a back three going forward i think one of the interesting things that david louise kept mentioning was that both kehu and Las Piliqueta saw a lot more of the the ball than him had a lot more opportunities with the ball to to progress into midfield or pass and I think Christensen um, you know just just off the bat is much much better on the ball than than either As Piliqueta or Cahill whether that is carrying the ball into midfield or whether that's passing the ball um I think yeah, just just having him potentially play either as a as a left sided centre back or as a right sided centre back or even in the the middle to deputise for Louise, um, he would be potentially someone who I think should at least um, get you know first crack at starting to, to when he comes back. I think he's going to be a fantastic centre half, and I just genuinely hope that it's for for Chelsea. Um, yeah, he would be be the first person I kick off with. What are you uh, What are you thinking as far as bringing in someone? Maybe maybe a, a bit taller, a bit bigger, maybe a, a Southampton uh, player, uh, w- uh, someone who would uh, you know really be a, a top class signing. Yeah, I mean, I think Virgil Van Dijk is something I've probably said a couple of times on on Twitter and and in sort of articles that I've written is I think he was probably the best centre half in the league before he got injured. Um, he's just utterly physically dominant. I remember watching him play against Romelu Lukaku and he made Romelu Lukaku look, you know, like a sort of a normal sized centre forward. You know, he he's bullying him. He he wins so much ball in the air. And again, I think you know a lot of people were talking to me about, well, you know, does does this mean that Aspilicueta moves out of the the right centre back spot. Um the problem being that, you know, the the main um, outlet that teams had to attack us not necessarily just as a route for goals but also just to quickly get up the pitch and to gain territory was to just chip the ball in that sort of channel between Moses and Azpilicueta to, to a centre forward who's over six foot you know and they can gain sort of 50-60 yards of possession and 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 territory really really quickly with, with Van Dijk that's just not the case because I, I think he wins you know 70-80% of things in the air so you know immediately you kind of shut down a huge source of, of problems for us last season not just in terms of goals but in terms of quite average side just being able to lump the ball in that general direction um i also think as well on the ball you know he he is fantastic you know he's he's great at bringing the ball into midfield he's got really good distribution on him i think the the thing that was was really exceptional about him that he he completed about i think it was between five and six long passes a game so you're looking for a center back who can ping the ball 30 40 50 yards um both sides of the pitch he was he was doing that six times a game so you know, he's he's a ball playing centre half who's got really the sort of physical traits that we want in a Premier League centre back. And to be honest, it's it's no real surprise that, that City, um, as well as us, and probably I would imagine it, some other clubs who could probably afford him, maybe Liverpool, are probably kind of the you know the sort of the second option in, in this particular equation. But this, it's no real surprise that City and Chelsea are both after him. Um, so I think again, when fully fit, he's probably the best the best centre back in the Premier League. You know, the crazy thing about that is uh, you would have him and David Luiz essentially being two very good ball-playing center backs in Chelsea's back line, which should obviously be fantastic. Uh, we can talk about what that would do to SP Lequay to moving out maybe to right wing back a little bit later. Um, but you also did touch on uh, Jake Clark Salter. Obviously, he suffered the unfortunate industry or not industry, injury. <laughs> wow. Works over. Focus back. Um, you know, he had the injury, you know, around the mid-year and he was, you know, just about to break through and really get some game time on his loan. 
it sounds like he's probably a long-term target to break into the team, but definitely going to need some game time before uh, we really see him around the first team. Is that right, Joe? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends whether the club feel that because of the injury that he's better served sort of staying around until January before they look for a loan for him to maybe build up some sort of match practice or to kind of develop him in-house a bit more. But yeah, I think I'm friendly with with a guy called Will Will Dubay who's kind of a player recruitment analyst for Bristol Rovers and he was one of the main reasons that they were able to bring in Clark Sorter was, was Will's kind of relationship with Chelsea. Um, and he was very, very complimentary of, of him um, in terms of how he was around the club. I think the, the comment I got from him was that, that uh, the coaches were, were kind of really overly impressed with him, particularly as a young player coming from, you know, quote unquote, a superstar club um, down to the level at Bristol Rovers. But, you know, from a, from a very, very raw skill set perspective, this is a guy who, you know, he, he plays left centre back. He's extremely comfortable on the ball. He's very aggressive in terms of his defending. But again, I think that the biggest plus that you get with him, and this this was something that he was starting to show at Bristol Rose before his injury, was that he has the capacity to not just defend as a centre-back. You can push him out into that kind of left-back channel. Um, and, and he's really, really comfortable defending in, in those sort of wide spaces, which I think probably fair to say when you see someone like Gary Cahill get dragged um, out into kind of a full-back channel, that's when I begin to panic because I know that it's quite likely that he's going to get beaten one-on-one, whereas I think Clark Salter, um has shown, uh, particularly at Chelsea, and again, he was starting to show at Bristol Rovers, you, know, you can you can give him a huge amount of space to, to sort of defend and, and patrol, and it's not really a huge issue for him. So I'm quite hopeful, you know, he's, he's an ex-Chelsea youth team captain, obviously ex-Youth Cup winner, um, someone that I think JT specifically mentioned as someone who could possibly come in and, and sort of take his mantle as a, as a young English centre-back coming through. Um, I just hope that, you know, in terms of the injury and maybe in terms of the club looking at what he can bring to the table, particularly again, being left-footed and being a left-footed centre-half. You know, if, if, we, if he's kept around at least until January, he might have a sneak of, of having a few cup games or or at least, you know, being being around the squad. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd see him as a, as a long-term option, but someone who hopefully... Um, at least in, in terms of the first couple of months of the season, can maybe sort of you know be be around the the the, the club and the first team and, and see really what develops from there. You know, one thing I think that's really interesting. So we've only been talking about the left centre back and the right centre back. It sounds like everyone's pretty much happy with David Luiz and everything he brings. So. Um, if you don't agree with that, like tweet at us, send us a message on Facebook, email us, whatever it is, let us know because it sounds like right now Gary Cahill and that right-sided center back not necessarily replacing Aspilicueta seem to be the two areas of focus. Nick, of these targets, who do you think slash hope we sign? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you brought up an, an interesting kind of sneaky name, Brandon, uh, and that was Sean McGuire from Hull City who I think had a... Uh, a couple of really solid games against us, you know, and that's, uh, you know, it, always a telltale sign for <laughs> for Chelsea transfers who usually plays well against us. Um, you know, I think he'd be pretty cheap. Uh, you know, he, he seemed to be really physical and, and have a decent pass on him. I think he'd be uh, an interesting kind of uh, um, B target. Um, and, I, you know, I obviously hope Van Dyke and Christensen come right in uh, and uh, and do some uh, business for Chelsea. Tweeds, where where do you sit as far as who you think we realistically or even ambitiously should bring in for to make this back line rock solid? I, I think Van Dyke for me is signing. Um, I know there's a, a bit of consternation on, on sort of Chelsea Twitter about bringing in the centre back when we've got a lot of quite good youngsters, but 
you know, again, I, I refer back to Conte's comments about being quite cold in, in this transfer window and, and maybe sort of putting sentiment to the side a bit. If you've got the ability to go and get someone of, of Van Dyke's quality, um, particularly, you know, it feels like we're potentially head to head with City for him. I think signing him has maybe taken on a slightly different dimension and then it would be quite a big statement if we could, um, you know, kind of in a sort of head-to-head scenario with with Guardiola get someone that they're obviously quite interested in. And I think, again, you know, he's, he's someone who could play, who could play, you know, every single week against every style of opponent, every style of forward, which I think doesn't necessarily always apply to a lot of centre-backs these days. So he would be the big one. And I think you know, giving Andreas Christensen, not treating him like an academy player when he comes back into the fold. Um, you know, there always seems to be this kind of extra level of scrutiny that they have to go through to actually get some sort of approval from the club or some trust. Probably no more so than embodied by the fact that Nathan Ake starting in a semi-final against Tottenham at Wembley seemed to cause a lot of, not necessarily concern on, amongst Chelsea fans, but I mean, this, this guy is now a, an international centre-back and just because he's an academy product, it seems to sort of uh, kind of be spoken about in hushed tones that he might be the weak link. So I'm hopeful that we can view Christian for what he is. He's an international defender. He's been excellent um, in Germany and probably more importantly, he's actually, his sort of better performance, better performances as a pure defender have come against the likes of Bayern and Dortmund and I thought he was really good against Juventus when I saw him as well um, and against City so uh, you know I think he has to come back and get given an opportunity as if he was a, as if he was a new signing rather than treating him like a, like an academy product who's got to sort of jump through the extra extra hoops to be uh, be trusted by the club yeah and, and you know just to like reframe this right for everyone listening you know we're not just talking about domestic success like we're talking about going some of the against some of the best teams in 100%. Europe. So again, I think that Van Dyke and Christensen are the the absolute rock solid. I would like to see Ake stay and Zuma go out on loan. I know that might rock the boat a little bit, but I only want to see Zuma progress and develop because we know he's a high ceiling. I mean, the guy is a crazy athlete. We just saw him give Kishelny the absolute shakeoff <laughs> in France training this week. Uh, let's let him develop and get there. Ake has already had two successful loans. Zuma has just kind of been in and out of the season, um, you know, with that injury. So that's where I'm at. Um, let's go ahead and look at wingbacks now. Obviously, this is kind of a new role for Chelsea uh, this season under Antonio Conte. Uh, as of right now, we don't have anyone leaving that we know about. Uh, obviously, we have Marcos Alonso and Victor Moses in the squad. Um Again, we don't have too many lone guys in the wingback position. I mean, there's some attacking fullbacks, but let's just go ahead and dig into this. Um, Nick, like, bring us into the wingbacks. How many do you think we need, since there's only two on the field at a time? Um, you know, do we need a like-for-like, like, you know, addition to the squad, or, or where are we at with the wingbacks? I mean, I think this is all formation dependent, obviously. So, you know, in, in your mind, think wingback or fullback either way, um, just depending on back four, back three. But uh, I think we need two. Uh, this is uh, when you think about the any transfers that we can make this summer. This is probably the, the area I'm looking at most because Moses and Alonzo were able to stay healthy for so much of the season. And, you know, it's I think the most... A position under most strain in a three-four-three. I mean, those guys are running crazy amounts every game, and uh, you know have a lot of responsibilities to kind of helping the team keep its shape. So uh, when when I look at wingbacks, I I know we need backup for each one of those guys, and we need some quality competition to to push everybody along. 
Joe, I have been a huge defender of Marcos Alonso and Victor Moses season saying that they were absolutely crucial to success, you know, but summer's here and, you know, I've started to look around at other wingbacks across Europe and I read your article and and thankfully Dan essentially found video highlights for every single player in your article, which we tweeted out, which is amazing. Um, It seems like the more I look, the more potential I see. So, like, are we looking for squad players or are we looking to maybe specifically upgrade this position? I mean, I think this this comes down again to how Conte is is sort of beginning to sort of formulate him for the season going forward. If, if we are looking at being a straight-at-the-back team, whether that's with a five or whether that's with a four, I think the, the importance of having top quality wing backs is going to really sort of come to the fore, particularly in Europe. I mean, I wouldn't know how confident I'd be seeing maybe Victor Moses up against Marcelo and whoever the other guy at Real Madrid is on the left or, you know, any of these, Carvajal. yeah, you know, think, seeing him compete against those sorts of guys or Alonso against some of these, you know, ridiculously quick right-hand sides that, that you'll see kind of pretty much in every European league. So, I mean, for me, again, you know, they were hugely important in terms of the season that's just gone, but, I mean, I really wouldn't be ever dropping, you know, fifty million pounds on each, uh, you know, on a left wing back and a right wing back because I think they're so crucial to potentially how we want to play. Um, I think again, when wait fifty million each, on each, each yes. for a total of a hundred, I, I would go that big. I think it's that important that, that we get the the two absolute best players we can in that position. And the reason I say that, and in possibly linking to some of the comments we'll make around the central midfield later, is I think Conte wants to get a very powerful and technically solid midfield. And in which case you can really get probably two very, very gung-ho wingbacks who are not necessarily converted wingers, but have that ability in the kind of middle and final third to really link play. You know, they can dribble, they can beat people, etc. Almost like having another Hazard and a, another Pedro or Willian or, you know, another kind of right-handed side player on the pitch. So I think that the importance is, is that significant that I wouldn't be averse to, you know, going full out for for two of the, the better players that, that are out there. Um, you know, particularly in, the, in this formation, if you have a fantastic left wing back um you know the potential of someone say like alexandro we'll talk about him probably in a little bit but him linking with, with eden hazard is is quite insane to think of the potential when you know, i think alonso has been pretty solid this season but the, the kind of level between him and someone like sandro is 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 kind of night and day so you know you automatically you've got more control in midfield you've got a, a better source of a quality in the final third, better end product. You've got someone who isn't necessarily looking just to play one twos to beat people. You've got wing backs who are who are quite comfortable just just taking on a fullback and actually beating them most of the time. So you know, it frees up Eden Hazard. It will free up whoever potentially is playing on the right hand side. So you know, it, it's a huge position. Um, and I, again, I think I would probably be looking for two starters. And again, um, you know, be, be very keen to, to spend as much as possible to get the two best players that we that we possibly can. So, Joe, we're going to take a dive into your into your list here because there are a lot of quality options out there. Um, and we know that, you know, some may be more controversial than uh, than others. But, uh, you know, let's take us take us through Serge Aurier. So talk about controversial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just starting off yep, with it. <laughs> we got to get it out of the way. <laughs> so I think the the. The issue here, obviously, is, is quite well known in terms of if you're looking at kind of a character person, then I think probably he gets crossed off the list quite quickly. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to run through his kind of rap sheet in, in Paris, but he's not necessarily the uh, the kind of upstanding character. He's, he's not an Azpilicueta type 
person who just seems to be like the nicest guy on the planet. Um, the problem being with Ariel is that in terms of talent as a football player, that he is an absolute powerhouse of a, of a right back. I mean, he's only, I think, about five foot nine, five foot ten, but I mean, he is a, he is a tank on that right hand side. Um, you're looking for someone who probably, I imagine, uh, in terms of describing as a word, you probably use the word rampaging, just up and down the right hand side. You know, he's he's previously played in central midfield, I think, when he was younger, so he's got a lot of the qualities that you want for a wing back in terms of linking up in linking up with play distributing the ball I think he's, he's a lot better on the ball than I think he gets credit for but in terms of sort of your, if you're looking for just a pure athletic powerhouse wing back you know I think he's probably your kind of pretty significant upgrade on a Victor Moses style wing back um, you know he's got a fantastic engine athletically he's, he's superb very very strong very powerful but Again, obviously, the, the big red flag there is that he's not necessarily the type of person you would probably want to sign, given some of his uh, character deficiencies that he exhibited in Paris. So you've got a couple of young guys on here as well. Andrea Conte, uh, Jeremy Toljan, and then also um, Gibril Sidibe. I'm sorry, not him. He's at Monaco, but Nelson Semedo. So these are kind of like guys, I'm assuming, obviously high energy, uh, kind of maybe more potential versus, would you say, uh, Sidibe and um, Alexandro being the more kind of proven, um, well-rounded at that higher level wingbacks. Is that kind of how you would separate those two groups? I think the one that I would, I, I would push probably Semedo into the uh, the uh, other category, I think potentially he he could be kind of Danny Alves sort of level of good. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite a big claim. But I mean, if you if you really watch him, I mean his his ability to get up and down the right hand side, he, probably the best on the list in terms of a wing back of, of pure engine. You know, he's an he's an excellent one on one defender. Um, again, I, I think a lot of these wing backs are, are either converted or frustrated wingers, and they get pushed back into this role. But I think when you watch him, he's someone who I would probably say takes pride in, in being able to defend properly. Um, sometimes the, the only real knock on him is sometimes it, it, he. I think he backs his pace and he backs himself so much that he'll kind of, instead of sort of pushing, 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 pressing, 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 and then maybe dropping off to where he should be, he'll probably press someone all the way back, you know, to, to the goalkeeper yeah, and be completely out of shape. But you know, that, that's kind of his style is to be so aggressive kind of with and without the ball. But I think where, where he really, really sort of um, sets himself apart is just his, his level of ability on the ball, whether it's dribbling, whether it's passing, whether it's linking play, as an outlet, I think he's he's absolutely exceptional. Um, you know, I think I saw that that um, Barcelona had had made a 50 million euro bid for him or something like that very very recently. So it kind of gives you an indication of of what teams are sort of looking at him, particularly um, someone like Barcelona looking to drop that kind of money on on what probably essentially would be a right back for them. But if you're looking for probably the, you know, if I, I said earlier, I'd be quite happy. I could drop a million pound on a, on a right wing back. I would probably say that Semedo would be that player because I think if he went to Barcelona within a season, you'd, you'd quite comfortably say that he'd be the best right wing back or best right back on the planet. He's he's that good um, for me. So yeah, I'd, I'd be comfortable bidding a, a really really ridiculous amount of money in because I do think you're looking at potentially um, the next Danny Alves. So yeah, I mean he's he's a really super uh, potentially a superstar in my eyes. Well, I know, like personally, I would like to see where the Kyle Walker development goes. You know, obviously. Proven in the Premier League, uh, he we know what you you know what you get. Uh, you have a big sample size because he's been starting the last few years. 
Um, but if he has an issue with Poch not playing him every single week, you know, Conte has made the fewest changes of any manager in the Premier League this last season. But I think a big part of that is because we only really had one competition to focus on. So I'm not sure how that would go down next season as we're, you know, fighting on multiple fronts. But, um, you know, what do you think, if anything, about Kyle Walker and maybe even Oxlade-Chamberlain, Joe? I think Walker was probably a, a pretty good example of someone who, who just feels undervalued at Tottenham. Um, I think, again, you're looking at, at Walker, again, probably being the, the kind of dominant right back or right wing back in the Premier League, probably on maybe 50, 60 pounds a week. Obviously, it's a, it's a ridiculous amount of money, but you know, when you're seeing players earning double that, maybe you know a bit more than that elsewhere, you, I think he's one of the, the first players that's really looked at the situation, felt, you know what... If I can, I can go to Manchester City and earn a hundred grand a week, or you know Chelsea potentially might be interested in me as well for that sort of money. Um, I think that's really going to backfire for him. But I mean, in terms of a, as a player, I think he's his progression under Pochettino has been has been pretty impressive to watch. Um, it's kind of through gritted teeth, obviously, because you've got both Spurs fullbacks are pretty decent. Um, Rose and, and Walker have, have actually grown into pretty pretty good players. But I think Walker particularly, um, just just for the the kind of power and the pace that he brings on the right hand side. Um, he's he's kind of like a one-person flank at times for Tottenham. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, if he was potentially available, I think that he would be someone that I would look at. But I, I think probably for him, um, if it was a toss-up between Manchester and Chelsea, he is from Sheffield, which is in the north of England. And I would imagine that he wouldn't be too averse to kind of moving closer to his family and closer to his kind of roots. So I think we, we, we might potentially lose out even if we were to bid slightly more for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a fantastic player would probably do extremely well at Chelsea. But I think for, for that one in particular, I, I think Manchester has an, a, has an appeal over London for him at least. Joe, or what about Ox? Do you think that Oxide Chamberlain has any sort of uh, value to Chelsea as kind of a flexible wingback type player? I would, I would hundred percent. As a player, I think we've seen this season, particularly, I thought he, he's played very well at right wing back. Um, I think he's looked pretty decent in central midfield. And, you know, I think for, if you're looking at kind of squad or rotational players, um, a, he's English, so obviously it ticks kind of that homegrown quota option. But I like players that have positional flexibility. So, you know, he could probably play four or five different positions at Chelsea and not necessarily look out of place. So, yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a squad option, I would definitely be, be interested in seeing him. And, uh, you know, I think the, we kind of need to give Conte some credit here. I mean, he's converted Victor Moses into a very, very good Premier League, you know, right wing back. And I, I don't think anyone really would have seen that coming particularly at the beginning of the season. But, I mean, what he's been able to do there in terms of just coaching and and just working with Moses. So, I mean, if, if you took someone like Oxo Chamberlain, who, who I think actually is, is probably a better footballer, just, just taking sort of positional differences out of it, I think he's probably a better footballer. Um, probably a similar calibre of athlete. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that, that he would be someone that Conte would be interested in working in, probably could do quite a bit with. So, yeah, I mean, Oxo Chamberlain, definitely for me, if, again, it, it all comes down to whether Arsenal would sell a player to us. Um, I don't think that they necessarily would sell him to us, but if they would, I mean, he, it would be a no-brainer for me. He'd be coming this summer. Let's let's talk quickly about you know what I view as the class of this list, and that's Alexandro on the left-hand side. Oh yeah, I mean he's just exceptional. I mean, there's not really that many players in world football now who, I mean, if you asked him to just stay as a left back and just defend, he'd look absolutely brilliant. Um, a bit a, a bit of the Ashley Cole about him that you can kind of almost leave right. him on an island. Um, 
you know, and just just say, okay, I just want you to handle the right winger today. Just just deal with him, and he'll do it absolutely perfectly. Um, again, another thing I love about him, particularly when you see teams trying to overlap. I mean, he's so hard to get, he's so hard to play around. You know, you don't necessarily always need to bring a midfielder up. You don't necessarily need to bring your your left side centre back out to help him. He can pretty much kind of cut off passing lanes and deal with the person in front of him at the same time. So defensively, I mean, he's fantastic. But I mean, going forward is really where you kind of see see the value, particularly of, of having this calibre of wingback because, you know, he can he's an outlet in midfield. He can play in central areas. He can play almost as a winger at times. But his skill on the ball, I think he's, he's you know, outmegs someone probably every single game that I've seen him play. And he's, he's got this kind of street footballer vibe where he's extremely skillful and he's he's really well balanced. And, you know, if, if again, if, if we were going to to really pursue someone this summer, um, I do actually think he's quite gettable. Um, Juventus for all their, you know, I think they've done absolutely fantastic the past couple of years. But again, they're a team that, that won't necessarily be able to, to pay Sandro the kind of money that we would probably offer him. Um, he's probably a, maybe a 60, maybe £60,000 a week player in Italy, but I think Chelsea would be comfortable paying 120, 130 when you start throwing that money at players and if they start rejecting, you know, 40, 50 million pound bids of him or whatever it is that, that the papers were saying were leaked uh, over the past few days, you know, he's, he's obviously going to be a player that's going to go to the board and be like, look, you know, you're rejecting this offer for me. I'd, I would quite like to, to potentially move. So I do think he's actually quite guessable. Um, but I mean, you know, he, I think you're right that he, he is the out and out class player in terms of this list. I think, you know, Semedo is someone that can get to that kind of standard from the right hand side. But I think Alexander is for me, um, the standout player, particularly in that position. But the, the crazy thing is he can't get in the Brazil squad. He's got Marcelo and Felipe Luis ahead of him, maybe potentially on reputation more so than performances this season. But it kind of gives you an idea of just, just how good Brazil's options are in that on that particular spot. But yeah, I think he's a, he's an incredible footballer, first and foremost. You know, he's, he's His ability to pick passes and crosses and, and not just hoof the ball into the area blindly. Everything about him is, is class. And, you know, if you were going to spend big on a wing back, although it seems still quite interesting that I'm talking about spending that sort of money on what is essentially just a glorified left back. But, you know, I think he the, the, what he could add to the team, particularly when paired with Eden Hazard on the left-hand side, I mean, th- then you are starting to talk about Chelsea starting to build kind of a world-class unit on that left-hand side, that would be a very scary prospect to see Alexandro overlapping with Eden Hazard coming inside with the ball. Um, I mean, you, you, don't, you wouldn't really know as a full-back whether to go with Hazard or Sandro because I think, again, they're both, you're looking at someone who is probably as dangerous as Hazard coming up on the overlap. So it would be a really scary prospect and someone I would love to see. All right. Well, it's decision time of these targets. Who do you think that, uh, or hope maybe, hope is probably a good word. Uh, hope that we sign from the wingback position. Nick, uh, I see that you've been uh, doing a lot of changing been, of your mind this section. I've been, I've been, yeah, no, this, I think this is the hardest, you know, of all the, of all the uh, different positions that we're going to go through. I think this is the hardest one for me. So I originally had Sandro on the left and Oxlade Chamberlain as, as support on the right. You know, I think that the, the gap between Sandro and, you know, someone, you know, of the ilk of Marcus Alonso is a little bit bigger than what the the Ox and Victor Moses would be, but we need support either way, and I think Ox would be considerably che- considerably cheaper than uh, Semedo. So I'm gonna go with those two, but Alexandro, you know, no convincing needed there, Joe. He's just amazing. What do you think, Joe? Um, if you had it your way, you signed two uh, wingbacks. I would take the the money we got from Oscar and give it to Juventus. 
for Alexandro and I would take some of the money that we've got for coming first in the Premier League 40 million pounds and I would, I would drop it on uh, I would drop it on Semedo I think the just the, the, the what they would give to the team um, particularly in Europe particularly in the Premier League you know it, it would be it would almost completely redefine the 3-4-3 again just, just seeing what they would add to the team so yeah probably the most important position we, we attack this this summer um, and again you know, I really wouldn't be averse to, to spending stupid money on the pair of them but yeah if, if that's not totally realistic didn't really touch on Jeffrey Toljan from uh, the, the German wing back from Hoffenheim um, I think he is your kind of project player player but just such a huge upside that he, he currently plays left and right back left right uh, left wing back and right wing back so you've kind of got someone who both is obviously positionally versatile but really really fantastic athlete and, and extremely good on the ball as well you know I think he's, he's someone that would need development but in terms of if you're looking at someone who has all of the kind of raw tools that you would want from someone to come in and play plus the fact that he can play both sides as well you know, he would be someone that I'm looking at and someone that we probably get on the cheap because I think the, there's an agreement in Germany that I think he's got one year left on his contract and he's already told the club that he's not going to sign that. So, you know, you could be looking at getting someone who potentially has a very, very high ceiling for maybe 10, 12 million pounds, something like that. So it's uh, probably would be able to compete with Victor Moses um, from day one. So, yeah, I'd be, be quite interested in seeing him as well. Awesome. Well, I think that we've got a pretty solid list. I mean, personally, I would like to see Kyle Walker and you guys have me, um, you know, on the Sandro bandwagon as well. Um, your, your boy Dan over there is is high on Conti. It's so, true. You know, I think I think that's a guy that we didn't really talk about, but it, it could be very interesting. Definitely like the tallest of all these options, right, Joe? Yeah, I mean, he's he's another one for me. I think he's he's just very very explosive wing back. I think my only concern would be um, in terms of transitioning from a team that that tends to have a lot of space because of the way opponents play against them versus some of these kind of low blocks or these deep defensive sets that Chelsea play against. Now, he does rely kind of using that, that acceleration, that pace to kind of get beyond people, but a very, very solid player. Um, I think, again, you know, you look at what, what Conte could potentially do with, with someone who's got that kind of athleticism and he's really good in the ball and his crossing for the right-hand side is excellent. So, you know, I think, again, a, a very good player. And you're right in terms of height as well. I don't think you can ever really say no to adding players who are who are, who are that kind of tall, who have that sort of skill set. So yeah, definitely someone that I think will probably be quite interested in this summer. And maybe if you know he might be Plan B in some instances, but I think he'd be a very good Plan B. All right. Uh, well, that'll go ahead. I think we're going to call that a wrap on part one. Obviously, we just stuck to the defensive half of the team in this section. Uh, we're going to go ahead and release part two back to back. So. Uh, make sure that uh, you go look for the second one if you're just listening to this one for the first time. Don't worry. Uh, we've got uh, part two coming up right after this. We'll go through midfielders and forward slash attackers, right? Because Chelsea kind of played those front three right now and go through that. But again, thank you, Joe, for joining us. Nick, you've been a champ, not a consolation prize. Appreciate everything <laughs> you do for us. Uh, but yeah, that'll be a wrap. Like I said, part two coming out right away. All about the attack so until next time Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high